This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Since 2005, charter schools have doubled in number and tripled in enrollment. Today, about 7% of all students attending public school are enrolled in charter schools. 70% of these students are living in cities with a population of 10,000 or more, with the greatest charter concentration in cities with larger African-American and Hispanic populations. But while these charter trends are nationwide, each city has its own story. The politics, economics, and particular governance arrangements have a lot to do with what happens to charter schools. Indianapolis is a case in point. The city of Indianapolis is the largest city in the state of Indiana, and that state, under the leadership of Governor Mitch Daniels, has become one of the hottest states for school choice in the United States. But the city of Indianapolis is also a large, sprawling amalgamation encompassing an entire metropolitan area, including under one umbrella the urban core and outer suburbs that in many parts of the country are kept widely separated. Eleven school districts operate inside the city of Indianapolis. The largest school district serving the inner core is governed by a school board with an entirely different constituency than the one served by the mayor of Indianapolis. How has this affected the development and impact of charter schools in Indianapolis? Robin Lake, director of the Center for Reinventing Public Education in Seattle, Washington, is one of the most acute observers of urban education in the United States, and she has recently taken a good long look at school reform in Indianapolis. Uh, she's joining me today on the Education Exchange. Robin, thank you for joining me uh, on our podcast. It's very nice to be here. So, Raman, how did charters get started in Indianapolis? Uh, where, where did this movement begin? It was really born out of the mayor's office. Um, so, as you described, Indianapolis was a city um, in a school district, Indianapolis Public Schools, on the decline, um, was really struggling. And the mayors were looking for a way to um, bring together the connection between education and economic development to really save the city. And so there were a string of mayors, uh, but Mayor Bart Peterson really took the reins, um, went to the state and asked for a charter authority, got it, and started rolling with it. So th the mayor begins it. Now, usually when a mayor is uh, uh, leaves office, then the next mayor undoes everything the previous mayor did. So did that happen? Absolutely. In Remarkably, no. Um, it actually um, has lasted through... Um, uh, over the course of uh, four mayors um, in many terms. Um, and it's not by accident. So there was a lot of work behind that. Um, there were folks who really intentionally went to the mayors and talked to them about what had happened in the previous administration and why the um, charter authorizing was producing so much quality and so much good for the school system. Um, but then uh, I think there was also a remarkable set of mayors who um, were able to rise above their egos and um, and even set politics aside, so you had Democrats and Republicans um, following suit and moving forward on a very, very consistent strategy. So what was the infrastructure, the intellectual infrastructure, the political, cultural infrastructure that supported this and, and made this something that went beyond politics? It's hard to describe in just a really short time, but there were um, a set of institutions built, a set of capacities built that ranged from uh, well, I'd say starting with the most important capacity, bringing talent to the city and developing talent in the city to run new schools. Um, that was probably the most important function. And a new organization called the Mind Trust was born out of the mayor's office, actually, 
um, to take on that role and to incubate new schools. Uh, but there were uh, another um, huge set of um, complementary efforts that went on at the same time, um, many of them kind of technical, but also uh, political. So um, the business community really stepped up to um, to hold together the coalition and, and bring in the money to support these new functions. Um, and um, and uh, problems were tackled one after another. So, you know, um, new issues came up around families having trouble with the enrollment process, so they created a unified enrollment system. Uh, it really helped that Indianapolis is a small town and people knew each other and could sit down around the table and solve problems. Uh, but there was a pretty savvy political force behind all that kindness and collaboration as well, uh, where deals were struck and um, people managed to move forward. Well, there's a lot of talk these days about things being imposed on the community. And I can see that in Indianapolis, the school district in the inner core being not part of the entire metropolitan area, which is the mayor's constituency that's something coming out of the mayor's office could be perceived as being imposed on the people living within the school district by outsiders. Did I that happen? So. I guess so. Um, I don't think it did so much. And um, one of the reasons may be that um, the mayor really did represent that constituency as well, the other, as, well as the others. And um, and could build those relationships was right there. And it's very different from, well, Ball State University was also a charter authorizer in the state, didn't have those same relationships. So I think that an authorizer outside the city uh, was a different ballgame than somebody who was right there and was elected by the folks he was working with. So Ball State University, uh, did that institution also authorize charters? They did, and they, they continue to. Mm -hmm. And. Is there a difference between the uh, charters that get authorized by the mayor's office and the ones authorized by the university? Yeah, there always is. You know, each authorizer has its own thing. Um, and um, I, I think that the mayor's office would say that um, they saw their role as really holding tight on quality um, and setting some very, very high standards uh, because it was their city and they really cared about it and they wanted to um, make sure that the mayor wasn't embarrassed, right? <laughs> so it was probably a more cautious approach than Ball State's approach. Um, and ultimately, I think in terms of politics, really set the stage for branding of chartering as being very much attached to a, a definition of quality. Um, and the mayor was then um, also willing to step in and close schools when it needed to happen. But there are some changes occurring within the district schools as well. So tell us a little bit more about the changes occurring inside the school district. There are big changes occurring. And I can tell you as a longtime observer of Indianapolis, um, they have come lately. Um, so long ago, the district was very fiercely defensive and um, uh, angry about the presence of charters. Um, over time, things have evolved, um, and again, not just luck. There was a lot of intentionality behind that evolution. Um, I would say some, also some very brave and courageous leaders in the district. So um, one of the key things that happened was um, uh, about five years ago, um, the school board um, changed and became much more interested in partnering with charters in some way. The Mind Trust was really encouraging that. Um, so they went on a sort of uh, exploration around what was working around the country, 
and decided to do things their own way in Indianapolis. So they created an innovation network schools proposal um, and uh, in, in partnership with the mayor's office and Mind Trust, took it to the state and asked the state to, to give districts the flexibility to open charter-like schools within the district. And um, around that time, Dr. Lewis Farabee came in, a superintendent who um, really believed um, in the, the power of um, empowering educators to do things differently. Um, and they started going, and they started working with, um, with local charter schools. But really importantly, they also looked within their own district schools and asked, how can we embolden and um, energize and, and, and enable the folks, the talent who are right here uh, before us? So they gave that same freedom to the district schools. At this point, one in five students in Indianapolis public schools is educated in an innovation network school. So, so you a said the school board changed, and uh, it's as if it were magical. <laughs> so how does there the school was a magic board wand? <laughs> does a school board change? There must be some new people came on board. There was a lot of advocacy work behind that. So Stand for Children is very active in, in Indianapolis and put money into um, to the election process. And um, over time, uh, folks like the NAACP and, um, and, and uh, a lot of black advocacy groups have also come to be um, very interested in the reforms and so supported some of those reform candidates. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, uh, it was intentional. Um, I think there were a lot of folks in the community also who felt like it was time to step up. So what's the outcome? Do we see students learning more under this new system or is it pretty much as ever? There have been a couple studies this year um, that say, yes, we see students learning more in both the charter schools that operate outside the district and in the innovation network schools in the district. So pretty strong gains, but everybody's still cautious. Um, it's very early days, and um, uh, so they're you know, kind of keeping their eyes on what's next. So college, I mean, high school graduation rates, college enrollment rates, any evidence These studies were looking particularly at just math and reading scores, um, and um, so seeing pretty strong academic gains in both those areas. So is there any way you can generalize from the Indianapolis story? Are there any lessons to be taken elsewhere? Yeah, I, mean, I think there are a couple. I mean, you can't deny that um, competition caused the district to behave differently. Um, that's really important. And at the same time, competition didn't guarantee the district would uh, operate differently <laughs> because we also see in other cities there's a lot of competitive pressure um, and the district doesn't do anything. In this case I think um, several factors um, uh, made things work differently. Uh, one was um, emphasis on quality um, and um, districts uh, don't want to partner with low-achieving charter schools. Um, but there was the opportunity to partner with high-achieving charter schools in Indianapolis. Um, and then the other big factor were just um, some brave, um, courageous um, leaders in the district who said, um, it's not good enough. We need to do better, and um, we're going to be, continue to fight this, or we can really use this to our advantage. How about the teachers' union? Teachers Union in Indianapolis is um, a relatively weak union. Um, 
but I would say that uh, Dr. Faraby, who was superintendent up till recently in Indianapolis Public Schools, um, was really um, uh, adept at working with the union to move through this innovation network schools process. And a big point that he had on his side was he was going to enable the teachers in his district and the leaders in his district to, um, to really step up and be able to show what they could do in relation to the charter schools. And I think that was pretty hard for the union to argue with. So, and I guess the charter school, that's where you said there were competitive pressures. He probably said, if we're going to keep enrollment in our schools and keep the jobs for the teachers that we have, we have to show that we can match them student for student. Yes, um, that's the argument. Uh, it's very rational, Paul, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do you see as the future? Well, things are looking pretty bright. So um, uh, Farabee's uh, deputy, Alicia Johnson, has uh, is the interim superintendent in Indianapolis Public Schools and is likely to, to become permanent. Um, the Mind Trust, the mayor's office in Indianapolis Public Schools continue to have a, a really strong relationship working together. But they're looking ahead and trying to figure out, you know, how do we really um, move forward in terms of academic achievement? They've still got, you know, plenty of challenges to tackle. And um, I think the, the challenge from here is maintaining the kind of remarkable alignment and investment from foundations. Um, and the willingness to keep looking honestly at the problems and keep tackling solutions as they come. Bipartisanship, commitment to reform, progress, this seems almost too good to believe. I know. <laughs> I ask people in, over in and over again, and what is going on here? Because there is remarkable bipartisanship. Uh, the state role um, has also been really important. So having um, the state that was willing to pass enabling laws, put pressure uh, on the district, but in a very thoughtful way, remarkable. And people have said back to me, uh, look, it's not been all rosy. And um, there have been um, challenging politics. Um, there were, um, you know, there were missteps, there were problems. But um, I think what's enabled them to get through it was this um, pretty intensive commitment from people in the city to come together. And uh, people in Indianapolis talk about this Hoosier way um, being a thing, that people are civil to each other when, even when they disagree, and it's a thing. Well, okay, so I'll say this. My family comes from Indiana, and we always were proud that we were Hoosiers, and I guess I shall be continue to be a proud Hoosier. <laughs> so I've been speaking with Robin Lake, director of the Center for the Reinvention of Public Education in Seattle, Washington. Thank you, Robin, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks so much, Paul. This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.